Elevate your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As parents, we need to be more involved in the educational process of our children. Welcome to Chalk Talk with your host, Eric Hamilton. The three pillars of Eric's approach to parent engagement are academics, accountability, and advocacy, which empower parents to better support success at the child, school, and system level. And now, here is Eric Hamilton. Hello, America. I'm back. My name is Eric Hamilton. And I'm your host of Chalk Talk. Chalk Talk will provide answers to the tough questions that parents have about education. And parents, I know that you have tough questions because I hear your questions. I get emails from parents all the time that are questioning what's going on in our educational system. We have an outstanding show for you. The show is going to center around a different topic. It's going to center around the type of foods that we are eating. It's going to center around our school lunch program. America, are you concerned about our school lunch program? I'm very concerned about them. I've been a teacher, and I've heard the comments from over the years from many of the students who talk about, <clears throat> they talk about the type of food that they have. And we're going to talk about what's going on in our educational system when it comes to what are we feeding our, our children every day. If you have some concerns or some ideas that you would like to express, because parents, I know that you do. The data that I'm going to present tonight briefly talks about just what you think about the quality of our food. We also have a guest that will be on after our uh, first break. We have Dr. Myers Joseph from Atlanta, Georgia. She's going to talk about a variety of different topics. She's going to talk about different topics specifically with regards to health and nutrition. Before we get into the show, I would like to do some updates and talk about some things that are going on. <clears throat> One, I will be uh, tomorrow. I have the honor of attending the uh, STEM Educational Summit that will be held in Washington, D.C. at the Swedish Embassy. They're going to talk about the future of STEM. And for those parents who are not familiar with that, that is a term that used to address the science and technology component. And I'm going to attend this uh, session tomorrow, and they're going to talk about the direction that the country of Sweden has taken over the last couple of years to really reach out to their students to how to get them involved. If you've paid attention to a lot of the policymakers, you will hear and you will see that America's in this push for math and science. So I will go and attend this event tomorrow and I will share some of my findings on next week's show. The other thing that I'd like to talk about uh, in setting up for our feature, I've talked about on a previous show in regards to middle school. And I made some comments about middle school and I talked about how <clears throat> As an educator and as a future parent of a potential middle schooler, I have a lot of concerns, and I just wanted to let the listening audience know that I did post an update on my website of an article 
entitled Do Middle School Students Do Middle Schools Make Sense? And it has a very interesting article that talks about new research that finds that keeping students in K through eight schools have many benefits. It talks about not only is it beneficial from the educator side, but it's also very beneficial for students because they have higher abilities to make it through high school. That's another indicator of success that students who typically stay in K through eight typically have a higher, they have a higher graduation rate, higher uh, level of attainment through the high school. And that speaks to that social component. So I, I definitely would like to give updates when I find them that are very relevant to the show. Again, the name of the article is Do Middle Schools Make Sense? You will see a link onto my website that talks about that particular article, gives some very, very good information to, to talk about. So what I would like to talk about is parents, are you happy about the quality of school lunches? And remember the, the pillars that we've talked about on this show that we said that everything has to do with three key terms, academics, academics, accountability, as well as advocacy. And we talked about how it's very important for you as a parent to know when to actually, what mode you're in. How, when do you need to become focused on the academics? When should you focus on the accountability? When should you focus on the advocacy? This particular session tonight, in my opinion, is more centered around advocacy. I believe that food is critical. I, I think it's very, very important for us to talk about it. Now, you're going to find out from a medical perspective, what are some of the things that we're seeing in schools today? What are the medical experts seeing in children who are not properly nourished? We're also going to make some connections with the ability to uh, maintain and sustain themselves through an entire school day. We had a parent uh, a while back call in to the show or send an email to the show talking about their child was not allowed to drink water uh, during certain times of the day because of the, uh, the, the difficulties of going into the restroom. And I'm very curious to present that <clears throat> question to our, to our expert tonight because those are the kind of issues that I'm hearing that parents have. They're, they're, they're looking at different kinds of issues. Parents say, uh, many parents say that it's difficult to find a healthy nutritional snack. Uh, lunch is very difficult to, to do, to, to facilitate in the morning. So parents, if you're listening, particularly mom, I'm hoping that you're going to hear some things that you can take with you. Uh, many of you all who know me know that I'm a data man and I love to present data. I think data is critical when you look at people's opinions and why people do what they do. And the Gallup poll was a recent uh, poll in 2009, 2010, where they asked a survey group of about 200 parents, K through 12. And according to the data that was announced, uh, they asked in various different opinions. They said, generally speaking, would you describe the lunches served in your school that your oldest child tends very nutritious, somewhat nutritious, not that nutritious or not? that nutritious at all. According to that interesting setup, 21% found they said it was very nutritious. 42, a whopping 42% said somewhat nutritious. 
17% said not that nutritious. 10% said not that nutritious at all. And 11% had no opinion at all. So that gives you some general idea as to how parents feel about the quality of food. What you're going to hear in tonight in, in this particular portion, you're going to hear what it really boils down to is what will you allow for your child? Parents say that it's very difficult to find an, a, a nutritional uh, snack or lunch. Many people are now starting to go to the organic phase. They're saying that organic is the way that we go to, to, to go. We're going to talk about uh uh, the first lady's health nutrition on healthy eating. And believe it or not, that has caused quite a controversy around the country. So we're going to have a lot of different dialogue. If you have any questions or concerns that you would like to express on the show, please feel free to call in. We would love to hear your opinion. That's one 346 9141 we're going to get ready uh, to go to my final segment before we take a break. Remember, I said that in setting up your conversations with with school leaders and particularly people that you want to talk to, you want to keep in mind <clears throat> that everything and I welcome feedback from individuals, everything that we do, we're centered around for the best interest of the child. If you look at some of the stories that that you hear from teachers, I have a few as well where I've seen children not eat. I've seen children purposely not go to the cafeteria. And I have asked the question, well, don't you want to eat something? And most of the kids will say, "Nah, I really don't want to eat the school food. It was that way when I was in high school. It seems to still be a problem. And when you sit down and listen to to many of the students who talk about the school, they'll actually say that it's not just the food that's disturbing, but it's also some of the services that they receive from the individuals serving the food. So it's really important if you have not had a chance, whether it's elementary, and I know high school students won't, won't want you to come to the school and sit down and have a lunch with them. But for those who do, I challenge you parents to go to the school, sit down, enjoy, sit, participate, see what's on the menu, see if it's something that you would want to have. And if it's not, if it's something that you feel that should be looked into or addressed, perhaps you may want to have a conversation. I had a principal who, believe it or not, he made a point to make sure that these cafeteria staff followed the standards very strict to make sure that the food was prepared properly. And that is such a, a missing element when we talk about schools and how do we get schools on board? How do we get people involved? Many parents say the same thing. I can't find something for my child to eat. I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to prepare something. I know that microwave food has drawbacks. But what's really, really important is for you to, as I said previously, please drop in, sample the food, talk to the students, get a feel of what's going on. And if you feel that they're not holding their part of the bargain, you need to go to the accountability piece. And if you can't get action there, then you need to go down to the advocacy piece, which we'll talk about 
later on in the show. At this point, I'm going to go ahead and take my first break. When we come back, we'll have our guests and we will jump into a wonderful conversation around school lunch. We'll take our first break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you are having difficulty balancing everything in your life, be sure to tune in to Change is Personal with Kim Fuller. Each week, we'll help you do your own self-assessment to handling relationships, family, life challenges, health, and personal goals. Kim and her guests share from experiences and offer advice and resources to keep your life on track. Change is Personal with Kim Fuller can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and start having a fuller life. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton. We want to hear from you during today's show by phone or by email. Please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to schoolwise at yahoo.com. That's S-C-H-O-O-L-W-H-Y-S at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us in this conversation about school lunch. I am joined with Atlanta's own Dr. Leslie Myers-Joseph who is going to give us some wonderful insight about parenting as well as the nutritional side of being a parent. And we're going to talk about some very interesting topics. I want to give you some background. Dr. Myers-Joseph is a native Atlantan. She got involved in uh, the field of medicine because she has a desire to help prevent diseases that can be prevented. Her background is she's from Duke University. She has a B.S. in psychology. She attended medical school at Emory University. While completing her studies there, she moved to do pediatric training at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. She is considered a true professional in her field. She has many, many different 
professional interests, including promotion, promoting of nutrition, literacy promotion, health, adolescent health as well. She's also a mother of two children and a a native Atlantan. She has the uh, the the background of being Dr. Mom. So parents, if you have any questions about the tough role that mothers have of trying to get very picky kids to eat, you're talking to the expert. Dr. Myers, Joseph, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Eric? I'm doing well, doing well. Before we get into some of the specific things about uh, what your work has allowed you to do, and I tried to give uh, your background uh, to our listening audience, tell us a little bit more about yourself and and what got you involved in the type of work that you do? Well, there are two things that got me involved. Number one is I talk with parents about their child's health, um, some of whom are interested in the whole obesity issue, some of whom I'm trying to convince that we even may have a problem. Um, And I'm seeing these issues more and more and more every day, just in the part of my routine exams. Um, Also, as a parent and a parent of a picky child, You know, I have all this medical training and expertise, and none of it quite honestly prepared me for dealing with a picky child. And as a mother, the tendency is you want your children to eat, you want them to be healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I really had to rely on other sources in terms of trying to, as a parent, um, help my child to get the nutrition that he needed. And those Mm -hmm. other sources included um, other parents, various Mm -hmm. uh health promotion seminars I've gone to since uh, even becoming a pediatrician, Um, you know, just learning from any source I could possibly learn from. Mm -hmm. Um, So just, I guess, as a personal thing as well as um, a professional um, epidemic, you know, I'm I'm very much interested um, in health and nutrition um, and obesity prevention, and then, you know, I think I may have mentioned to you that personally I was an overweight child and mm. some of the things I dealt with growing up. Mm. Okay, okay. Uh, and, and that's really good for, for I think, for parents to hear because oftentimes parents are faced with very demanding schedules when they're facilitating work, they're facilitating eating, and as an educator, I can see where uh, a lot of that is actually happening in the classroom. Uh, a standard lunch for a lot of kids is a soda and a bag of potato chips. And, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's not what we want to communicate, particularly on this show. We want to address that. If you could define this, this uh, trend that we're hearing about obesity, because we hear a lot of it. We, we talk about it some on this show about how physical ed is, is not part of the curriculum consistently as it used to be. Talk about obesity for us. So I'm going to give a quick, quick background, and if I get sure. too technical or, or too long-winded, please let me know. But um, obesity is a term that we use to refer to a person's um, body mass index when it's too high. And a body mass index is a crude, crude way, but it's very easily tracked, of looking at a person's weight according to their height. So mm-hmm. as an example, um, I could determine someone's body ma- uh, mass index with a a medical, I mean, a mathematical formula, um, mm-hmm. but to help you understand how it works, if you're six feet tall and you weigh, I'm going to exaggerate, 30 pounds, your BMI would be very low, um, mm-hmm. and that would be a numerical indication of the fact that you are 
very, very thin, and you would be able to see that just by looking at a person. On the Mm -hmm. other hand, um, if you're six feet tall and you are 500 pounds, by that same mathematical equation, your BMI or body mass index would be really high. And so it's just a way of quantifying um, the size of someone according to their height. Mm-hmm. Um, and technically, someone who is obese is someone who has a body mass index of greater than the 95th percentile for their age. And remember that for children, your height and weight are supposed to be changing and never growing, so it's not so set. Um, mm-hmm. It's always according to age. Um, and you're overweight if that BMI is between the 85th and 95th percentile. So about okay. 30 years ago, the rates of obesity in children nationwide was about 5%. And now we have... I think the latest number I saw was about 12.5 million kids in the U.S. are obese. Wow. And according to what you read, um, a third of our children are categorized as obese or overweight. So mm-hmm. those numbers are huge, huge, huge. Now, why do we care about that? Our kids are still running around having fun. Um, but as many people know, if you're overweight, uh, overweight or obese as a child, then um, you can have formerly adult-only diseases, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, hypertension. And and I'm, you know, highly motivated by the fact that we're having to tell more and more children that they have diabetes. Oh, wow. And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. no small thing. No. So, you know, that's why I've been so excited about this whole Let's Move initiative. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're looking at the nutrition angle, as well as the um, physical activity angle. But I think tonight we're just mostly going to talk about the nutrition angle. But certainly, and you alluded to this earlier in the conversation, talking about what kids bring to lunch and why. Certainly Mm -hmm. our our lifestyles have changed. We're in a go-go lifestyle nowadays. You don't have a parent at home typically who can prepare, who who has the time to prepare um, home-cooked foods and things like that. In mm-hmm. the schools, they're removing recess mm-hmm. to meet all these other academic guidelines, which you've probably talked about in some of your <laughs> other shows. I have. Yeah, and so um, the other thing is, my personal thing is the proliferation of electronics. Uh-huh. So where you and I would be outside as children playing for quite a bit of the day, our children uh-huh. nowadays are sitting inside on the computer, on the video game, on the phone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. instead of outside playing. Mm. And so when you take all those factors together, um, the need to have quick meals, less time to do it, um, less physical activity, then it's adding up to children who are at some point going to be at risk of really, really serious health problems, and, and they're getting those health problems at younger and younger ages. Hmm. That that's that's You've provided a lot of insight in terms of you know, speaking on the, the, the medical side of things, and I'm seeing it as well as in the classroom where you, you typically would have children that uh, would look to be perhaps a senior would actually would be in the ninth grade yeah. because they are getting larger and they're getting so much more physically developed at a younger age that I, I wonder – is it our lifestyle that's doing this, or is it food, or just just what what is it? But it needs to be addressed. You're right, and I'm I'm so thrilled again by by some of the initiatives that have been going on here recently, especially with um, the First Ladies Let's Move initiative to take a comprehensive yes. look. Um, 
at at these factors. And yes, yeah, some of it probably is foods and how they're prepared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is that children may or may not have safe playgrounds or sidewalks to walk to school on. Some of it may be that um, cafeterias aren't being creative in terms of how they serve food. Um, And, again, I'm just so hopeful that with some of the school um, lunch changes that have come down recently, and if you want, I can speak more specifically on that later on. We Um, will. But I'm very, very hopeful that um, with some of the really mandated changes that we'll start to see the effects down the road on our children's health. Okay. Okay. That's, that's, that's very good insight. Let me, let me ask you this because we have about four minutes to go until we get ready to take our next break. In the, in the medical, uh, in the medical field, when, when, uh, professionals, uh, the, the medical establishment is seeing this growing trend that's going on, at some point are you ever asked or are any of your colleagues ever asked to go to schools to specifically talk to parent groups or to talk to children about this epidemic or have you been given that opportunity? Um, all the time. All okay. the time. Whether it's a PTA or a church group, most definitely. And mm-hmm. and either your local AAP, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics, oftentimes will have a speakers bureau that would if, if you were part of an organization that wanted to learn more, you could all you could approach your local AAP um, in order to to get someone to come speak. Um, most people have a family physician they go to, and mm-hmm. most family physicians are pleased as punch to spread the <laughs> gospel about nutrition and healthy living. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So so the opportunities are out there. And, and, and parents, if you are an individual that's trying to find out information, uh, this is a show that you can have a resource to try to to try to hear it firsthand that that this is not just a problem that's just for people living in the south or just people who are living in the northeast this is a a huge problem in the United States and you're hearing it firsthand that it's a it's a growing epidemic and I'm telling you from an educator's perspective I can also see it in the classroom with the 3 minutes that we have tell us about what are some of the things? Do, are you seeing this more on an economic situation? Is, and we've got two minutes. Actually, is this, Eric, I is see it, it across all socioeconomic levels. Certainly okay. um, in some families where they're really paying attention more to just the basics, I think, honestly, some of the parents just may not really take the time um, mm-hmm. to try to even come up with decent meals and to ask their kids about the schools and the lunches they're having. On the other hand, on the other end of the socioeconomic spectrum, you have um, parents who are just professionally busy, children in a number of activities, and they, too, um, aren't taking time. And I'm finding that sometimes the biggest thing as as a mom and as a parent, um, one of the biggest impediments towards having healthy meals prepared is time and planning. Yes. Um, Yes. And so I think it's just such a great thing with since so many of our children of our children have lunch at school, I think it was 32 million I saw participate in the school mm-hmm. lunch program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least we know there, kids are getting a well thought out, well planned meals with lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, because depending on the family dynamics and the time, and and you know all the other issues that take away from your planning and implementation mm-hmm. of good meals, we know that mm-hmm. at least kids will get at least one decent meal throughout the day 
and maybe more if they participate in the breakfast or after school programs. Okay. Okay. America, you are listening to Chalk Talk with Dr. Leslie Myers-Joseph. We're talking about school lunch. We're asking parents that if you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to call in. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the status of the health initiative that the First Lady came up with and talk about what do you see as a medical professional, how it's having an impact. So we'll check our first, uh, second break, and we'll be back after a moment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. It's time to take an amazing journey, a journey to gold. Join your host, CJ, every week as she introduces you to amazing people who are following their dreams and changing their lives with a new attitude. Hear from the stars who are stepping outside the box. Be sure to listen for the Dream Quest Challenge with Josie Pasentino, where you'll vote on the music of independent artists. Find out how you can be a part of this life-changing experience. Maybe we'll be talking to you on a future show. Journey to Gold is heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host, Jordan Kimmel, is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton. We want to hear from you during today's show by phone or by email. Please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to schoolwise at yahoo.com. That's S-C-H-O-O-L-W-H-Y-S at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us in this conversation about the quality of school lunch programs. I'm joined with... Dr. Leslie Myers-Joseph. She is a pediatrician from Atlanta, Georgia. We were previously talking about roughly the type of work that she's engaged in. We've talked about some of the difficult conversations that she's had to share 
with families about the health of of young children. It's very disturbing to hear the trend that we're doing uh, in, in America right now when it comes down to healthy eating. I'd like to rejoin the conversation and to talk about and this is a big topic that that if you've had some exposure to either in med school or just some of the information that you get. And, and this is what parents want to know. They want to know, is there any connection between eating uh, breakfast, solid breakfast, a solid lunch, snacks during the day for those kids whose blood sugar levels, you know, tends to fluctuate. Is there any connection between what we eat in a day and perhaps academic performance? Has, has, has anything got you to that point yet in your career? Certainly they've done studies looking at the performance of children on standardized tests and whether or not they've had a good breakfast. And mm-hmm. um, all things seem to point to the fact that a good breakfast to start mm-hmm. your day certainly improves your academic outcomes either overall or with regards to testing. Um, you know, I'm of the mindset that anything that keeps your sugar at a good good height and doesn't mm-hmm. have it uh, spiking and dipping mm-hmm. is, is going to keep you sustained to go. So certainly healthier, healthier meals are ones that include some sort of quick energy source and then something that's going to be more of a sustained source. Um, so, for example... Um, a breakfast that included some sort of drink, uh, mm-hmm. preferably a calcium-rich one such as fortified juice or milk, along with whole grains such as oatmeal mm-hmm. and maybe a piece of fruit. Now, your whole grains get broken down slowly, and so those sugars are going to be released into your body in a more sustained fashion. And mm-hmm. so children will have more of a steady uh, state of satiety, steady state of sugar level, and may not have some of the behavioral issues associated with falling sugar levels and being hungry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can tell you with students who, who you can see that happening. They, they come in and they're normal, they're, they're well-balanced, they're focused, and then something happens about 30 minutes in the class and something happens and somebody has to eat something in order to sustain themselves. And school policy, a lot of times, I know in the classroom, I'm t- telling students, nope, you can't eat, you can't eat. Well, it's kind of difficult to tell children that you can't eat specifically when their bodies are changing. And that's where at some point in time, we've got to have a collective meeting of the mind to say, this is what we know on the medical side. This is what we know on the educator side and try to reach some kind of happy medium because it's a it's a concern. And I, I hear it all the time, and I'm certainly here, sure that you hear the same thing. Certainly, certainly, certainly. And, you know, as the um, the USDA new guidelines came out, they, they did just what you described. They had a meeting of the minds. They had hmm. over 100, 100, excuse me, if not in the thousands of medical experts, educational experts, parents, um, all give input in terms of how this Health and Hunger-Free Kids Act should should look. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was a meeting of the minds, just like you said. Of mm-hmm. course, you're not going to please everyone. No. But, um, you know, the, health, the point of the uh, Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010 was improving child nutrition, and it legislated... Um, well, it authorized funding, and you know that's always important, <laughs> and sets policy for the USDA's child nutrition programs. And, and 
I didn't realize until I started reading into this exactly how many programs the USDA, USDA excuse me, that's the U.S. Um, uh, Department of Agriculture manages. So we're talking about school lunch today, but they also um, oversee the school breakfast program, um, the Aid to Children, uh, Women, Infant, and Children program, or WIC program that people have heard of, um, aftercare program. So they, they oversee and set standards for a number of entities that are involved in feeding our children. So even though today we're just talking about lunch, um, certainly with the um, health, or excuse me, with the uh, Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, they try to address foods that are coming in the kids from all angles um, and certainly like you described, did so in about as comprehensive a fashion as you can do it. Well, I'm encouraged to hear that because if we are moving to very high standards, uh, the nation is now embarking upon common core standards and many <laughs> states are starting to rewrite the rules of, of engagement in terms of how we're, we're going to teach. Well, at some point we've got to realize that we have children in the classroom. And if you've been with children longer than 10 minutes, you know that children are constantly in motion. Uh, we had a parent call in and there was a school uh, that had a policy of limiting the number of times that they could go to the restroom. They would limit the number of times that they could have water throughout the day. And, and you're seeing these types of things across the country, which is very disturbing yeah. because children are not robots. They're, they're young, they're active and you've got to be able to allot for that. And I'm glad to hear that we've we've taken on an initiative to to address that. Give me your opinion about in your relation uh of any work or activities that you've done with this exciting campaign by the first lady on health program. Before we get to that, I just want to speak to the question that you just or the comment that you said a parent had made about um yes, limiting water. Yes. And and this is something that we use on a person-to-person basis, but I think as we as a community try and, and as educators and, and parents and um, medical professionals try to effect huge change in some ways things are being done, um, it's important that we take on a very positive role. And so to the parent who's at a school and they have such a policy, and I'm sure there are reasons for it, but I would just beg the parent to to advocate, as you always say, and to <laughs> ask questions and to do it in a in a way that's not confrontational, but to say something such as, what needs to happen so that X, Y, and Z child can go to the bathroom when they need to? Because sometimes you find out there's a very real issue that the school is worried about and the parents may be able to help you in working along with the children to find the answer so that the kids will be able to have access to lots of water, which we know is what they need, mm-hmm. and then the, but still be able to go to the bathroom like they need to. Yes. Um, now, your question was about the First Lady's initiative, Let's Move. Yes. And, you know, she also was implement, uh, um, uh, huge in advocating for the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act. Yes. Um, Tell me what your question was again. <laughs> the que- I'm sorry. The question is because we have listeners that may not be aware of it, so I'd just like for you to speak to what it is and, and what's, what's going on with it and what's some of your opinions about what are you seeing it actually do. Okay. Um, so just briefly, uh, 
you know, President Barack Obama launched a um, task force on childhood obesity, and they really looked at every single program and policy related to child nutrition and physical activity and just tried to develop a national uh, action plan um, to, max- to maximize the federal resources and to set some benchmarks and standards, almost like Common Core, um, mm-hmm. set standards for you, for you all as educators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, there was lots of pushback. Uh, several people would voice, depending on which side of the political spectrum, we don't need so-and-so and so to the, the, the feds to tell us how to feed our children and all of this. So, of course, there's pushback, but, but we all must remember that the goal is to try to help have our children be as healthy as they possibly can. And we know that that includes um, adequate nutrition and adequate amounts of physical activity. So their initiatives um, through the First Lady's Let's Move program, as well as through um, the the legislator, legislation that came out of that, um, there's five aspects of it that they're working on. And again, we're talking about just the food issue tonight. But the the five aspects, uh, the five um, portions of that initiative, were creating a healthy start for children, and that you know goes from womb on up in terms of promoting breastfeeding, et cetera. Um, empowering parents and caregivers, just like you are always talking about advocating, and as well as teaching uh, caregivers and advocate uh, and, and parents, providing healthy foods in schools, improving access to healthy, affordable foods. Yeah, you've probably read in the media about the food deserts that are out there and yes. some of the things that some municipalities are trying to do to address that. Um, and then, of course, increasing physical activity. Hmm. So, you know, these are just national guidelines set forth. Of course, they're attached to funding, so many school systems do want to take advantage. And um, as I was looking through some of the the specific changes to the school nutrition and the lunch programs, um, it may be a tad more expensive, but happily the new um, law also set forth increased funding. So hopefully that that it'll help the school um, systems to be able to really actualize these changes. Did I answer your question? <laughs> and 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 those and those changes will definitely be be needed because you're in schools frequently with your own children, and you know that the environment that's set <clears throat> by the school staff, by the cafeteria staff, all those things go hand in hand in order to facilitate what I would call a good eating environment. And you know, it's interesting you say that too because. Um, as schools try to implement these changes, the the one piece of advice that I would just encourage leaders of a school, and I mean administration as well as teachers as well as staff, is to try to create that buy-in. Yes. And some schools have wellness committees, some schools don't. But I cannot stress to you how much is how important it is to get buy-in from all the different aspects. Um, because while this legislation deals with the food the cafeteria serves, if the PTA is selling candy and cookies and pizza mm-hmm. and all of this, you're mm-hmm. almost sabotaging the other end. Oh. Oh. And so all the more reason you've got to get buy-in. There are creative ways for PTAs to raise money that don't involve selling unhealthy food to our children and their families. It may not be the easiest way, but certainly um, with creative thought and a dedicated mission, it can be done. 
Our own PTA has done it. Um, another way to get buy-in is to work with your food service providers at our local PTA meeting, for example, at our school. Our, our meetings are always held during dinner time. Everyone's always hurried and hungry trying to leave. So what did the food service people do? They introduced some of the upcoming changes, and they had a, um, a tasting session. So the parents and the children there could see some of the new foods that they would be offering, and they explained, you know, the, the policies behind it. And, and they let, asked let parents. Me, sorry, okay. sorry to cut you off, uh, Dr. Mom, but we need to take a break. Sure. I want you to come back and talk about some of those initiatives, and I have some very interesting final thoughts and things I'd like to share. So at this time, we're going to take a break, and okay. we'll be back with Chalk Talk. Okay. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. We let so many outside factors mold and shape our lives. Technology, instant delivery. We live in an on-demand world. What's happened to the compassion, the kindness, a better pace? Listen to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. We'll bring that kindness and compassion back to our world. Our guests come from around the world and we'll discuss what's being done and what we can do to bring our lives back to order. Might Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Chalk Talk with Eric Hamilton. We want to hear from you during today's show by phone or by email. Please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to schoolwise at yahoo.com. That's S-C-H-O-O-L-W-H-Y-S at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back, America. Thank you for rejoining us in this conversation about the quality of the school lunch program. I'm joined with Atlanta's own Dr. Leslie Myers-Joseph. We've had a wonderful conversation about the quality of school lunch programs. You've heard from an educator as well as a 
doctor to talk about what's going on with the quality of the food that, that we are providing as adults for our children. You're hearing some good commentary. Wish that we had more time to get into more details because I have a lot more questions about the, the roles that parents have in terms of eating. And I struggle with my own child to, to diversify what we offer her. <laughs> and it sounds like that's a common theme that parents are going through. Could you tell us in a, in a, in a brief moment, uh, what do you think is the, is the ideal because parents want to know specifically, they want takeaway. So give us an idea, and I know you alluded to something on the medical side last time, but give us an, an idea as to what you think a long sustaining uh, breakfast or snack or lunch would look like for a child that a parent can do on their own. Just just speaking as a mother now, what, what would you recommend for us? So I'll take lunch. And the okay. general rule is, at least for me and my kids, and I, it seems to be from other parents and doctors I've spoken to, very similar. So we have to have a protein, but that can take many sources. It could be tuna. It could be peanut butter. It could be um, uh, tofu in a smoothie. Um, it could be cheese. It could be egg sandwich, but some sort of protein. Always okay. have to have a fruit or a vegetable, and that can be a frozen something, such as frozen blueberries or frozen strawberries, frozen grapes, um, and you can certainly, they last longer that way, um, or fresh is always great, um, and even canned as long as it's not in any kind of heavy syrup. Um, I like to let my kids have a, a fun something or other, which may not be so nutritionally laden, but may not be so bad either, such as baked chips, pretzels, a trail mix, a box of raisins, but something that is finger food. They tend to like that sort of thing. And then lastly, something with calcium. So that could be yogurt, again, the cheese and milk. So an old-fashioned, really healthy, really nutritious meal is a PB&J, a piece of fruit, perhaps with some um, pretzels along with it and um, a calcium-fortified drink. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy, although certainly if you want to make a tuna salad with cheese and vegetables in it, that would be great. Um, you know, you can make your pasta salads with your whole wheat uh, noodles these days, which are fortified with lots of vitamins and and, uh, minerals. So sometimes it doesn't have to be time-consuming. It just takes the time to plan and to think creatively. Sometimes you you give the child what you had for dinner last night in a thermos, especially if it was home-cooked. That's better than, you know, what you could get out and about sometimes. Right, right, right. And and that ideal snack, and and I believe in snacks. I, I had a policy in my classroom where I tried to be very lenient with the food policy. Some teachers are very strict with that. Some mm-hmm. says no food at all. But that's well, a huge I, opportunity for you as a teacher yes. to, to offer leadership. And, and you may have done this, and I certainly have friends who are teachers who have done it, where mm-hmm. they'll set out a bowl, and parents could do this too, and they'll have fruit there. Yes, And the kids are welcome to come up and grab yes. a piece. Of, and she even carries a knife that she keeps clean. And if something needs to be sliced, yes. she'll slice it for them. And she yes. has found two, you know, every, every, every single day. When she does that, the fruit is gone. Yes. They eat yes. it when they're hungry. And, but you have to make parents, it easy. And you have parents, to sometimes, you know, set some guidelines around it. Yes. And see, parents, that's when you go from just sitting on the sidelines to actually becoming an advocate. And you... 
you can have those conversations with your PTA presidents. This is what we talked about last week, that the PTA president should have more than a responsibility than just leading yeah. a conversation around fundraising. Yeah. That's also a conversation that you can have about, hey, I heard this on this show where a doctor recommended fruit time. And actually bringing fruit into the classroom and having students, I think that's a great, now, great Now, you idea. know, it's interesting because depending on your demographic, some schools already do that on their own, and the parents coordinate it. In yes. other schools, it's going to require leadership from yes, teachers and administrators to make that happen. Yes, um, yes. But yes. certainly it can. Yeah, it can. <laughs> it just has now, to be the will for it to be done. The will for it. The will for it. And that's that's why what we're doing is so powerful in my opinion, because you're giving you're giving individuals something to think about that's addressing the concern. You're addressing the concern addressing the concern from the the medical side as well as what goes on in the classroom. Because kids so, need to eat during the day. And it's interesting you, you talk about this because part of the new guidelines requires that um, children are offered a fruit and a vegetable every day, and they have to take at least one of them. They can take both if they, if they want, but they have to take one. Now, there's a place called the Cornell Center for Behavioral Economics and Child Nutrition, and they've done research in mm. terms of changing people's behavior around eating healthily. And they found wow. that just suggesting that students take a fruit will increase the number of them eating it by as much as 70%. Almost like wow. when you're at the checkout line at the grocery store and they have all the candy and magazines yes. right there for you to pick up as you leave. Same uh -huh. concept with the fruits and vegetables. That's a brilliant idea. That's the, a the brilliant idea. The potential is awesome to change behavior, and the kids may or, may not even realize we're doing it purposely. <laughs> but you're doing it purposely. That's yeah. that's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. We have about two and a half minutes to go. I want you to think about uh, some some final words that you'd like to share with our parents, and then I'll kind of give what I see in the education arena as to why things are the way they are. What What are some closing comments that you would like to share, the takeaway pieces? You know the struggles of being a mom and, and how demanding it is. What would you like to close with tonight? Just to remind parents that, as always, they are their child's first teacher, and a lot of the nutrition issues that we're talking about now um, really need to start to be being addressed from the moment a child starts eating. And even if you have a child who's already school age, it's never too late to talk up what you are eating. So parents, if you are eating a fruit or a vegetable, talk about how delicious it tastes and how you're going to have this again. Your smart child is watching everything you do and that if you as a parent lift up a food as just delicious, especially if you do it several times repetitively and you can get other people in a in a leadership position, also to do the same thing. Kids are watching, and you best believe they are taking it in. So just to remind parents, um, you're the first teacher, and lead by example. The other thing is, if you know these new health guidelines or the new lunch guidelines are encouraging their kids and, in fact, requiring them to get a fruit or a vegetable every day, ask them what they get and what they like about it, what they didn't like, what they wish they had. Engage them in that conversation in a sort of a nonchalant way, but it lets them know that you care. Yes, it, it does. And, it, and that's what we need to see as parents as well as school leaders. And I'd like to thank you for joining our, our show for today. And I wish that you will come back at some point in time to talk about new endeavors that you may come across. And I hope that you will come back and, and join us on Chalk Talk. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. I want to close by telling um, uh, parents that you are 
your child's advocate, that you have the right and the responsibility to advocate what's best for your child. In my opinion, I believe that one of the issues that we've talked about on this show is the advocacy piece. Many times that you've heard, we're so focused on academics. We're so focused on getting test scores to a certain level. We often forget about children and we forget about how children operate. Some of those board meetings that we hear that people are forced to go to, some of those board meetings, parents should have the opportunities to talk about what are we feeding our students? What are we doing in the cafeteria? Does the cafeteria lady have a smile on her face or is she disgusted to be there? Those are the kinds of issues that if they're not addressed by you parents, those issues will continue to plague what we're doing in public education. If you have any questions or concerns that you'd like to email, please email me at schoolwise.com. Or if you want to send me anything on Twitter, it is school underscore wise. I'll be happy to respond to you. As always, parents, go out and be empowered. Next week, we'll have another exciting show regarding Common Core and high school academic standards. Go be empowered, America. Thank you again for joining us for Chalk Talk. Please join Eric Hamilton again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more of everything that parents should know about school.